This is the Coming Black to Africa podcast, a show focused on helping you, the African diaspora, with your return home journey. Whether you have roots here or not, each week I'll host someone who will share their experiences and tell their stories to help you prepare and navigate the integration ups and downs. My name is Robert Agufanabel, an Afro-Caribbean traveler, passionate about promoting and representing Africa. I am a champion of creativity, and I'll be the captain of this flight. Now, let the journey begin. Greetings, travelers. This is Coming Black to Africa podcast. And on this flight today, I am joined by my co-host, Joanne Ball Burgess. Welcome, Joanne. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Great. And you have come black to Africa. And you've been here about 10 years. That's correct. 10 years. And we want to dive into your coming black experience. Mm -hmm. You know, the good, the bad, you know, the ins and the outs. But before we get into that, you know, I want to hand the controls over to you of this flight. You're going to be steering us, telling us your story and sharing your experience of how it was coming black to Africa. And I'll first start by asking you, how would you define yourself before coming black to Africa and now 10 years afterwards? Wow, that is a huge question. Um, how would I define myself before? Um you know, when I came to Kenya, I wasn't necessarily trying to repatriate, trying mm -hmm. to, you know, be in the motherland. It was simply an opportunity because it was the recession and basically Europe and the U.S. did not have jobs available. So it really was not my first choice. Right. Um, repatriating or raising my kids in an all-black environment was not really that important to me because I had... You know, in the world, sometimes there are different people around. And you just have mm -hmm. to do what you have to do. It wasn't until landing in Kenya and seeing so many people that could look like my cousins, <laughs> could look like my aunties. Yeah, very, that, very close. <laughs> that, you know, they're late too. Oh, their parties also start two hours late. Mm -hmm. I started to realize that a lot of things that in Bermuda, you know, Bermuda being predominantly black, but still as operating, it's a colonial island. It's still under Britain. Mm -hmm. You're told that, you know, being late is a black flaw. It's something that you have to get over. Right. Or your accent is, is like, it's, not, it's kind of a lower class kind of thing. And you have to try to talk more American or more British or more anything but what you are. Anything anything less Caribbean is supposed to be better. Anything mm -hmm. less African is better. The better. closer you mm -hmm. get to that, it's worse. And I realized for the first time in my life that these were not flaws. These were Africanisms. Mm -hmm. The way that we deal with time is not a flaw. It's, <laughs> it's an Africanism. The way that we're so particular about the way we wear our hair. Mm -hmm. It's not a flaw. It's not ghetto. Mm -hmm. It's Africanism. It, it's just it's just things that we're told in a different context that is not how we're supposed to be. So right away, my self-esteem as a person, as a black woman, started to skyrocket. Wow. You know, I went to, I remember I went to Maasai Land. It's like, you know, the stereotypical thing you're supposed yeah, to do. Got to yeah. go on safari. You, you've not been to Africa if you've not <laughs> gone on a safari and seen a Maasai. You know, like Basically. holding a spear and probably killing a lion with his bare hands, you know? Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, that, that, that last part was an exaggeration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I get yeah you. No one's killing a lion in front of you now. Yeah. But anyway, I went to um, Kajiado. And I was with uh, three Maasai ladies. And at that time, my hair was dyed red. And it was it was a translation from Maasai to Kiswahili to English and, to, and back again. So mm -hmm. this conversation was taking quite a while, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. 
And they were like, you know, well, why do you have red hair? Because that's what the dudes do. That's what some boo men do. Right. So I was explaining, you know, I dye on my hair. Da-da. And they were like, okay, cool. And um, then they're trying to understand. They're like, um, so which African languages do you speak? Mm. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and here I am, you know, waving the black power flag. And I'm so African and got my locks and everything. And I'm like, I, I don't I don't speak any African languages. Right. And... So like the translation goes back and forth and they're kind of looking at each other, like, you know, curiously right? <laughs> and they're trying to talk amongst each other like, Shh, you know, what's going on? And so the, it comes back and they're like, well, we don't understand you're African, but you don't speak African languages. How does this work? Mm-hmm. So I try to tell the story of slavery within about five minutes. And I'm like, so we were here in this continent and then we got taken. It was really bad. And now we're back. Hey, yeah. you know, kind of like that yeah. like really quick. And as they're talking again, they're like, what, what? They don't really get it. And they're like, oh, okay, we figured it out. You were African, but now you're white. We got it. Oh. Oh. So. Lost in translation. (laughs) But in actuality, for them, they were right because your Africanness depends on your language. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, so as much as my self-esteem was like, wow, you know, I'm so African. I'm understanding myself more and coming back to the motherland. I was also like, oh my goodness, um, I'm realizing just how much or just a piece of how much we lost being children of the diaspora. Right. How far away you're removed from being an African. Yeah. Not just about being black. It's not yes. just about being black skinned, but you've been far removed, right? Far removed. Language. Um, you know, I started to meet people who were, would say, oh, I'm, I'm from the Kikuyu tribe. I'm mm-hmm. from the Luo tribe. And they could tell me the exactly yeah. what their peeps do, what they like, what they deal with, what they don't deal with. You know, all those kinds of things. Why their name is like this or like that. And once again, realizing, just, just feeling that loss on the inside of myself yeah. for my ancestors and for myself of when slavery happened. And it wasn't slave trade. It wasn't like this nice trade. Let's, right. let's call it what it is. It was the it wasn't sla- a trade. It was African Holocaust. It was it, the African it Holocaust. Trade. <laughs> no, it was not a trade. It was not a trade. <laughs> the African Holocaust, African genocide, call it, some, call it what it is, was horrendous. Yeah. Um, and what that has caused our ancestors and our people for generations so... Yeah, um, defining myself in in very different ways, understanding what our ancestors lost, understanding what we've retained in mm-hmm. spite of, mm-hmm. and um, and and kind of grappling with that. I would say that's how I define myself. Wow, that's I don't think that's a de- definition. I think that's an expose um, <laughs> and, and a history lesson, the real history lesson. And I want to circle back to something you said at the start because I intentionally didn't mention to our travelers where you're coming from because we we all meet on this plane and you meet someone and you're like, hey, usually we ask where are you from, you know, or what do you do? I don't like that because it really box and mm-hmm. limits someone, right? I want to know your experience. So I want to circle back. So you mentioned that you're from Bermuda. I think a lot of people will be like, whoa, like I actually know someone who came from Bermuda. You know, we, <laughs> we hear about Bermuda, about this, you know, very nice getaway you know tropical island everything is just nice and there's lots of money flowing you know so it's good to have you here to you know in the flesh to tell us about the experience of of growing up in bermuda right i want to um get back to what you said about you know explaining you know the slave trade and how we end up in the islands you know as you know i'm also from the islands Mm -hmm. right and a lot of i find also a lot of africans don't don't quite understand that because it wasn't taught to them exactly. or the exposure to them yeah. is not there so they don't get it and hence why you got a reception like you're black you went all that way but how did you lose 
your Africanness. You know, how mm-hmm. did you? How did that even happen? Yeah. You know, so a lot of people don't really understand that. So I really want to appreciate and acknowledge you for giving us, you know, just that snap, that snippet yeah. of how things are. Because those of us in the island, and I share that in the intro episode to this podcast, is it's kind of beaten out of you. The Africanness is you. You're embarrassed to identify as African. Facts. You know, you know mm-hmm. these days it's it's much better. But when I you know moved that side, I was it was it was crazy, mm-hmm. right? So I'm happy that you have become more of who you are you know at an identity level and it's not about any labels it's not about any qualification it's about you at your source you know at your roots right um so i really appreciate that we're happy to have you on the show so tell us maybe like in a minute or two what's life like in bermuda because i think there's there's someone who's just like (laughs) they're stuck on that point you know before i continue my interview like you got to pause for like just tell us how life is like in bermuda you know it's Uh just like maybe black americans or someone else thinking you know in africa things are just slow and you're jumping from you know you know you're living in huts you know just a lot of misconceptions so maybe can you tell so us starting in bermuda i mean bermuda's a small island there's about sixty thousand people and um it, it's it's such a close community i'm either related to everyone or everyone knows me or thinks they know me or i know them so having said that it's like you could be walking down the street and someone would just be like you know, why are you wearing that shirt? I don't like that color on you. And you don't even know who they are. Yeah. But at the same thing, on a positive note, you could be walking down the street and, and there'd be someone would be like, you look like a ball. Wow. Or you look like Dorothy Holdip. I'm mm. like, yeah, that's what my gran- that was my grandmother. Mm. Yes, I can see it in you. And then you still don't know this person's name, but they're giving you a rundown of your family history. Like Sometimes right, something you don't even know. <laughs> right, exactly, on the side of the street. Yeah. And like some of those things are just so beautiful. I mean... When it's loquat season, there are loquats everywhere. And, you know, mm. I didn't understand that people actually bought loquats because, <laughs> you know, or, or cherries, Suriname cherries or, you know, guavas. It's not like something you buy or something you just, fu- you you just find found you pick, it. Yeah. You just picked it, you yeah. know. Um, things like that. Bermuda is a subtropical island. It's a, it's a mix of West African, Afro-Caribbean heritage and also some Native mm. American mm. heritage is mixed in there. Um, our traditional dancers are called the gumbays. The gumbays. And the gumbays, um, when they dance, it, it's very much a direct mix of, I would say, Pequot tribe, Mohawk, and probably Angolan uh, West African dance. Um, it's a beautiful beat that sounds West African, but it's mm. played on regular drums, right. which is interesting because the sound sounds like something that would play, be played on a djembe. Yeah. So you see all these different like people having to make do with what they had, you know, have, having come to the island from wherever they wherever were they forced from. to yeah. come from. Um, I've, I'm biased, so I feel like <laughs> Bermudians are like the most beautiful people ever. You can have... You, you better say that. <laughs> <laughs> Very dark chocolate Bermudians, beautiful skin. You could have, you know, what we call high yellow, mm-hmm. you know, and all in between. You could have various eye colors and hair textures. And I feel like the the rainbow of what I call black, you know, we can get into colorism and all of yeah. that type of stuff. But I, I say the rainbow of beauty in what is black is so evident in Bermuda, as much as it is, I'm sure in other places too, but I, you know, like I said, I'm biased. Yeah, yeah you have to be biased. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's expected. I mean, so guys, I mean, you can 
take a trip to Bermuda, 60,000 people population. I know some of you, um, if you're listening, you're in African content, you're like, that sounds like a village, you know, it sounds right. like a, such a small place. You know, when I tell people that the population of Antigua is, is just about 100,000 people, they're like, what? Like, so do you know everyone? I mean, pretty much. You, 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 you almost know yeah. everyone. And so, so that's where you're coming from. You're coming yes, from beaches. a small <laughs> island, beaches nonstop. And you sound like you're some, you might be a lecturer of history or sociology. So maybe you could tell us like, what's your background in terms of profession? Because I mean, you seem so educated about people and movements and culture. And, and I think someone mm. would like to know what, what, so what does Joanne do? What's so interesting? Um, I'm in three different industries. I'm a dancer mm-hmm. and um, yogini. So I also teach yoga. Those things kind of intertwine sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also an educator. And then within all of that, there's also singing and songwriting as well. Yeah. Um, I'm also an author. So the right. interestingly that you said that, um, you know, I sound like a lecturer. I'm, a, I'm an observer of people. And my first degree is in history. Mm-hmm. I do love history. I do love observing people. I'm also very intuitive. So, you know, I look at situations and I kind of, you know, create my story around what I observe and then I deliver it. So you're probably mm-hmm. hearing that coming through yeah so yeah. yeah very true and you can deliver that story through dance through yes you know so many different art forms right yes, so you seem true. to be a lover of creativity and not just artistic expression of creativity but also an, a scholarly and intellectual um background to creativity i don't know too many people like myself who are both extremely creative and also extremely intellectual um, usually um, people are one or the other. They're very intellectual and they admire art, but they don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Or people can be very creative and they don't know how to get into the other side. Um, I have both. Mm-hmm. And and the challenge for me is making sure that that one side of the brain is showing up on the right day. Right, yeah. <laughs> so when it's time and in the to right dance, environment. I'm not like in my head. And when it's time to be in my head, I'm not like, woohoo, like ready to shake my booty or something. But <laughs> I digress. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, so you you come you you get to Kenya. Is, was that your first um, trip to Africa? Had you been to Africa before? Any no, country this in Africa? Is my, it was my first time on the continent. I mean, wow. I've been to other countries since, mm-hmm. but Kenya was my first stop. Absolutely. You you gotta de- delve us into that first week, that first month. <laughs> you know, I mean, you give us the experience about going to Masai yes. land, but yes. now from an integration perspective, I mean, so you're coming for the first time and you're coming to settle because yeah. of an opportunity, right? Um, I, I think the, the the travelers will want to know, like, what is this opportunity? Right. Yeah. So at, um, at that time, it wasn't even my opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my husband's opportunity. So All he right. is a plant scientist. You may want to interview him at some point. He had a, um, a stint for one year to come and work um, in sustainable farming mm-hmm. and beekeeping with a charity. So I was just kind of coming along All right. for the ride <laughs> at, at that time. At that time. Did, did, did you... Can I ask, did you have children at that time? So, yeah, we came with two kids. Wow. Um, and for the first, I would say, almost a year, I was still writing. I was still writing and doing mm-hmm. proposal work and finishing a couple of children's books. I have children's books that are written and published, The Lizard mm-hmm. and the Rock, and The Price is Hogpenny. And um, actually, I'll, I'll be re-releasing those next year. All right. Um, and, and we will put links to them in the show notes so people yes, can, yes, you know. Yes, yes, yeah. um, But, but um, what was my point? So, so that was his opportunity um, at that time, but it became my opportunity as right. well. As I met people, um, you know, just being friendly. And that's another thing about being Bermudian. We're friendly just to be friendly. Mm. 
sometimes people will call it pokey, you know, you're in everybody's <laughs> business. But I would say that as Bermudians, we probably genu genuinely care about people, about humanity. Inquisitive. We're very inquisitive. Mm. And um, just being friendly for the sake of being friendly, I feel like it's becoming more rare. People want to be friends because of connections or mm -hmm. what they can get or, you know. But I was just friendly to be friendly. And those moments actually led me into becoming the number the f number one face of the biggest dance show in east africa not even in kenya so i became joe one the dance judge because of being friendly because of being in the right place at the right at the right time mm -hmm. and um that opportunity didn't just last for one year it lasted for four years so i was there for four, four years. seasons four yeah four seasons yeah and i and I was the longest standing female judge on that show. So um, the, the show was called Sakata Mashariki. Mm -hmm. And it would and, and be, what does that mean? So it's like um, dancing in East Africa kind of thing. Okay. And it's like, I think, my sweet is not that great. I remember as well. But anyway, <laughs> besides for that. Um, so yeah, that's... Four seasons. Four seasons. I mean, and, I mean and, that and, show was big. And I didn't want to lead with that when we started the the interview on the podcast because I mean for those who are in East Africa or around Africa and in dance societies, I mean they've known Joanne the judge. But they probably didn't know you're from Bermuda and all, all right. these parts about you. And I wanted that part to lead in this mm. interview as opposed to just seeing Joanne as the dance judge. Because yes. we, we label and box people so much that we don't get to see the full spectrum of the beauty right. of their souls and the beauty of their skill sets, you know. Mm -hmm. And you and I have had a lot of conversations off off air about creativity and our passion for creativity. And and one thing that I've realized with everyone that I've interviewed uh, so far in the podcast is this unleashing of creativity when you come black to the motherland, you know, when you come black to Africa. is this part of you that's been, it was, I don't want to call it buried, it was planted, but now it just starts to blossom because it's just in the right environment. And you love the dance and you came by being friendly and you got that opportunity. Exactly. So I feel like as black people, we have so many gifts and talents on the inside of us. And perhaps you're trying to start a business and you're in the U.S. or you're somewhere in Europe or maybe you are in Bermuda. But that idea that you have, people have done it 10 times over. And the people that want to do it have way more capital than you. Mm -hmm. But when you come to this side, you realize that you don't need a million dollars to do that same idea mm -hmm. and that your idea might be fresh because perhaps capitalism is still new. Mm -hmm. And um, so I feel like those are some of the beautiful things about being on this side, whether you're in Kenya or Burkina Faso or any sort of um, African country that has an emerging middle class, which is a beautiful thing. So yeah, those were some of the opportunities um, that happened. Of course, contracts with teaching and creating curriculum. All right. So as an educator, I mentioned I was, I'm an educator. Mm -hmm. um, what I did for my research was I looked at how do the performing arts also support learning? Mm -hmm. And so I create curricula that actually supports kids so that they're not sitting, so that we're using all of them to teach and all of them to learn. I can teach um, poetry and, and, and use that kind of to, to teach literacy in a different way. We mm -hmm. can use visual arts to teach history. We've done that. We've successfully done that. We've, we can use rap music to teach spelling or multiplication. I need help and with spelling. So, <laughs> yeah, so many things. So those types of opportunities I tried to access in Bermuda, and I did see those in smaller ways, mm -hmm. but I've seen them expand even more um, here. Yeah, I mean, it's just the... The nature of the economy and and when i moved 
from an Antigua and Barbuda to Kenya, it was it was just at the scale. You know, there was opportunities that I saw, but you know, one of the downsides of a small economy or or small island state is the opportunities are very limited, right? Extremely limited, and growth potential is not as as widely available. Um, but coming to Africa, the opportunities are endless, mm-hmm. and I, and I love. I'm, I'm very passionate about you know education transformative education mm-hmm. and we need that in africa because it's so sad that when when i got here that you see the education system that's being churned out it's just churning out workers it's just yeah it's it's, it's stifling us you you know i mean i i heard experience of people who went to school like in kenya for example they were beaten for speaking kiswahili you know <sighs> in schools and and those things you know pierce my heart right you know but you've come and you've been able to make an impact you've been able to mm-hmm. make your presence felt i say you've you've allowed your light to shine yeah um, so i want to shift gears a bit and, and find out what else happened when you came so you found opportunities but mm-hmm. how was it getting these opportunities like it sounds like it was just easy you say i do this <laughs> and it happened were there any challenges um, what, what was the reception because like there's this here's this lady coming from bermuda Right? We don't even know where Bermuda is. We always hear about it. You're integrated <laughs> into East Africa. I mean, like, you know, did you have issues, you know? Um, so I had a quick crash course on Kenyan culture. And I feel like culture is something, when it's not your culture, it's something you're continually learning. It's not like, oh, now I know everything about Kenyan culture. I could just stop learning. It's mm-hmm. a continual process. But at that point, I was really fresh off the boat, as we say. <laughs> and um, fresh off the plane, everything. Yeah. And... With your accent. Being in <laughs> Kenya on Sakata was a crash course. You know, in Bermuda, it's valued when you speak your mind. Mm. It's, it's, it's a good thing. When you don't speak your mind, you're not being honest. Mm. If you're being too quiet, people don't trust you. Wow. So Kenya is the complete opposite. So mm. the pleasantries and the things that are considered as expectations are the complete reverse. So I remember being in a business meeting uh, you know, at Citizen TV, and we're there, and all the big bosses, and everybody's there, and there's celebrities sitting around the table, and I'm sitting there, and um, you know, the CEO comes in, or I can't remember if it's the CEO or somebody, but you know, one of the owners of the station, right. and he's like, you know, shouting commands and saying, you know, this needs to be done, and that needs to be done, and then he's like, new girl, introduce yourself, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, hi, I'm Joanne, hey guys, what's up, you know, and then he's like, so, any problems you see on the show, and we had had one episode, mm-hmm. so at that time, the makeup artist who came assumed that I was going to be dark-skinned, I'm not dark-skinned, by the way, guys, you can't see me, right. and so she only had dark makeup, I looked like a clown on the first episode. Oh, it was so bad. Uh, it was so bad, you know? And I just should have done my own makeup. But anyway. Because the makeup artist didn't, didn't anticipate, you didn't know, anticipate. a different shade, a different shade of blackness. Right, right. right. And, and and not to say, I mean, Kenyans come in all shades too, but yeah. for some reason, that's all she had. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned, I said, he said, anything wrong? And I said, yes, actually, you know, the makeup artist wasn't prepared. Da, da, da. So and so. <laughs> who hired her fire her da, da, da. and then he just kind of this went is in on. the meeting this is in the meeting oh, and he says man. anything else she's fired anything else and is she in the meeting at that <laughs> no, time she's not in the meeting oh Thanks, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right i was about so, to be like i need a video clip of that <laughs> so she was not in the meeting and then you know he just kind of finished saying all his stuff and then he just kind of got up and he walked out and closed the door and and what I also had noticed during that meeting that every all the confident celebrities and all the big hoo-hoos of, of the station kind of took on this very, uh, very shy kind of humility look. Their eyes went blank and kind of rolled up in their head. And I was wondering mm-hmm. what's going on. Like, mm-hmm. what is this? Like, everybody was cool just a second ago. Mm-hmm. But suddenly everyone's taking this, like, 
I don't know, faux humility kind of posture. I don't even, I didn't understand that at all. A different type of respect. So I didn't understand that that was respect. Yeah. In Bermuda, that would just be considered rude. Right. Like, what? what is wrong if you speak up for yourself? Yeah. Look me in the eye. Yeah. Whereas in Kenya, <laughs> to look your authority in the eye is the opposite. That's disrespect. So yeah. this is like two different worlds that are almost colliding. So now the um, the produ- one of the producers was like, Joanne, you embarrassed us. Whoa. Don't ever like say that something is wrong. Yeah. When he comes in here, you nod. Mm-hmm. You don't say anything. And when he goes, then you tell me, but you never tell him. And I was just like, wh- like, okay, clearly I've made a cultural like football. <laughs> Blunder, like it's just yeah. like whoops. <laughs> but as I, I was coming from a Bermudian perspective, mm-hmm. and there were so many other cultural things like that that I have had to deal with, and you know, continually still <laughs> deal with. Yeah, because I mean, who, 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 who's there to tell you about this? Right. Like, the, where do you learn? Yeah, where do you learn <laughs> this? And then. It's it's unfortunate because the people who are underground they don't know where you're coming from either, so they won't think about oh let me tell Joanne not to be as you know whatever unless they knew you from before. No, they so, didn't. So there's always that integration issue, and you take it for granted because that's how you grew up. As you said, it was cultural to speak your mind. It, you see, you didn't imagine like there's a place, especially where predominantly black people are, that they don't speak their mind. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. So as much as like maybe the people who you met didn't understand the slave trade and how you ended up in Bermuda, people here didn't understand that you guys are so free, you know, on mm-hmm. that side. And and that's that's a, a, a bridge that we need to gap. And that's why this podcast is here, to help you understand these are some of the, you know, the, the, the small challenges or speed yes. bumps you'll, you'll find along the way. Um, so, Joanne, I mean, that sounds, that's, that's fantastic. We've seen your work. We know you, your celebrity. You've you released music videos that are just top charting all Thank over you. the globe. <laughs> and it, it almost seems as if, well, not seems, you being in Kenya has given you a global platform yes. because you are as global as global gets right now. And mm. that's one of the big glows you've gotten from coming black to Africa, yes. not just physically, but coming black and owning your uniqueness and your blackness. But I can imagine that there've been some downtimes in this past 10 years. There must've been a time maybe when you thought, wow, I, I think, yeah, okay. Economy was good, but um, this is just not working out. Did you mm. have such moments? You know, do you have any experience of a very, you know, scary moment yeah we've had we've had um we've had times definitely so i talked about sakata and how you know things were great and of course you know every year my wardrobe budget was growing and <laughs> you know i got to work with any design i wanted and makeup person and hair person and everything was just going so great mm-hmm. and um living so, your best life living my best life <laughs> and um you know actually that's what led me into um the mall one saturday you know mm. i needed to get some shorts and some converse sneakers <laughs> and i was getting my hair did because um it was it was an some sort of vip event it was mm. a dance event and i was kind of one of these vip guests and so i'm in the mall and i went to the bathroom and um that's the exact day that the Westgate Mall attack happened. Wow. And even seven years later, as I say that, I still feel shivers up my spine as yeah. I say it. it that's real. Um, so, you know. I mean, co- just just for just just to, sorry to interrupt you there, no but problem. for those who may not be too familiar mm-hmm. with the Westgate attack, I mean, but I'm sure it is because a lot of bad publicity happens for Africa. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, those of you who are not aware, that mall was under siege for uh, about a week. Yep. Yeah, about a week, and and you were trapped inside of the mall. I was. Right. Um, I cannot even imagine how horrifying that was. I mean, you've mm-hmm. come here. I I can imagine the thoughts going through your head. 
Um, we're so happy that you're here with us. Yes. We're so happy you made made it out of that. I mean, if you don't mind, can you? Can, how was that experience? You know, because now you're in Africa, you're in a mall trapped. There are terrorists all over. People are dying. Yeah. I mean, people die. What got you through that? You know, so I was in the bathroom and um, people don't actually realize that I'm actually an introvert. With all the music videos and dancing, I I need time to what I call D people. <laughs> <laughs> and when I go to a bathroom, it's kind of like that point where I can have some peace. Mm-hmm. So that was one of those moments. And because of that, kind of taking that time is one of the reasons why I'm sitting here right now. Wow. Um, as I was walking out of the bathroom, you know, I just, I heard, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, you're not in your right mind. You're not yeah. thinking this is anything. The, how can that be possible? You yeah, know, you're in a mall. You're just yeah. thinking it's, I don't know, construction. I don't even, it didn't even register my mind as anything. Mm-hmm. And then I, people were screaming and running into the bathroom and I was pushing out because I was like, what is going on? These people are so rude. They're just pushing <laughs> in the bathroom. And this Italian looking guy, I remember he pulled me and covered my mouth and pulled me in the bathroom. And I don't know what he said to me to this day. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, they're like, it's gunshots. And so there's, you know, eight of us hiding in the bathroom. Head is down by the toilet. We're hiding for hours. Seemed like an eternity, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I was hiding in a stall with an Indian lady. And, you know, where our heads are ducked down. Like if you imagine the toilet is there and your yeah. head is right by the toilet. But in times of survival, you're not thinking about cleanliness or yeah. anything. And, you know, she's getting WhatsApp messages that her son had been shot and her oh. mother-in-law had been shot. And they were probably not going to make it. Wow. And like her two other kids got out. And so you're getting these messages and, and I'm sending and I'm thinking, we all thought it was a robbery. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this is a robbery. They want the diamonds or the, they want to go to the bank or mm-hmm. something. It will end soon. And it just wasn't ending. It just wasn't ending. It was just, it just kept going on and on and on. And, you know, so I'm talking to the Indian lady and she, at a certain point, she kind of said something like, I'm just going to walk out there because the, the gunshots were right outside the bathroom door. Wow. You could I'm, hear them so, you could hear, so, so clearly. Wow. I can still hear it in my mind's eye today. Um, and, and I, and I remember I stood in front of her and I was like, you know, do you have, you said you have other children and don't you think you need to make it out of there alive, mm-hmm. out of here alive for those children? And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, I was scared that if she went out there, the terrorists or robbers, I didn't know what it was mm-hmm. then would find us. Yeah. So in a, it kind of felt like survival more than care. Um, at a certain point, I remember the um, there was tear gas that was coming in the bathroom. And so we, we came out of the stalls and we were just standing around because now our eyes were burning. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh my goodness, are they, who is doing this tear gas? Is this the robbers? Why would robbers have tear gas? Um, is it the police? Are they trying to get us out, the robbers out? We just didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. There was a cleaning lady in the bathroom cleaning the toilet. You know, those people that people don't really think Pay much attention about. attention to, yeah. And she was the one who said, I know a back exit. Mm-hmm. And so at a certain point when the gunshots had died down, I think the terrorists at that point were going upstairs. We ducked down and we ran out of the bathroom around the corner to a cleaning closet. And I remember smelling bleach. I remember seeing blood. Um, I remember seeing people wounded. And then it was like, well, where do we go? And it was like, there was a fire exit. 
And literally, that was the freaking, that was the run of my life. <laughs> that was the run of my life. Wow. Um, you know, we went down the fire exit, ran downstairs. And if anybody Googles the Westgate Mall attack, they would know that. An hour after we ran past there, there was carnage. Yeah. And, um, but at that point, you know, we ran down, we hit the basement. And I remember running up kind of like the ramp area. Yeah. And as I got out and I saw the sun and I saw helicopters all over and I saw ambulance and police and army people and, you know, people standing around screaming, I knew that this was no robbery, you know. And, and I remember, you know, I had been so strong. I had been calculated. You know, previously I wasn't sure if I, if I didn't make it out. I really, really, really wanted to be here to raise my kids. I remember mm-hmm. saying that. Then I was going back in my mind, like, but what if I don't make it out? So, the, so there's yeah. this kind of ebb and flow of feeling at the, when I was in the bathroom. But now that I was running, I mean, it sounds so stereotypical, but <laughs> like, you know, black people running for their life and we run. Yeah, we they, run. Really like we run. run. Like we run. It was one of those runs. We don't go towards <laughs> the danger. Like we go the opposite direction. <laughs> it was one of those runs. And I remember hearing people saying, duck, duck, duck. And I was not listening. Mm-hmm. I was running. And it was it would only be about six weeks later when I visited that Indian lady and her family. And she said, you know why they were telling us to duck? Mm-hmm. Because there was a terrorist that was standing above all pointing right. a gun down at us. Right. Were you, he, were you being led out by the police at that time? No, or was just, oh, just it was you, us. You, your, your own intuition, the cleaner, yes. gave you this route and you guys took it. We took it. You we took, took it. a chance. We didn't know wow. anything. Wow. Because they said that the police was coming for us and then quiet. I found out after I got out that that police officer had been shot and they took his gun. So the oh. police that was coming for us never made it to us. Right. You know, so we were like, well, where's this guy? You know, where's the guy? He's coming. He's coming. And no one, no one wanted to say that had been, hap- that happened. And I'm glad they didn't tell us actually, because I don't think I would have had the nerve to, move, to run out. To move, yeah. But um, thank goodness for the cleaners. You said just, I mean, you, yeah. you mentioned it in passing, but that goes to show you that the value of, of our intellect, like don't despise someone just because of their position or what they do in life. Because yes. if you didn't make that move, I mean, things would have turned out I mean, quite we wouldn't be having this conversation. I yeah. mean, and and um, I'm writing, I'm publishing a memoir this year. Wow! And um, that's one of the stories that's in there. Awesome. And that, and I actually kind of give a real big up to the cleaning lady in that memoir because I don't know who she is. Oh. I don't know her name. If I saw her today, I wouldn't even recognize her because that was such a moment of trauma and stress and everything she's a hero she's a she's a shiro yeah i um (laughs) so i really big her up in the story and you know um these people that we think or no i wouldn't say we that people tend to think you know are less than because of whatever she said at least 20 or 30 people right yeah oh that that guys is is an experience um I've never experienced something like that. You don't need um, to. <laughs> and I don't want to either. So I'm actually just thanking you for sharing that experience. Sure thing. Um, yeah. And for sharing it with your, everyone who's listened to this podcast, all the travelers. Danger is everywhere around the world. Yeah. Right? Danger is everywhere around the world. And we do need to, you know, just be on our guard. And you did do an interview on Al Jazeera, I believe. Yeah. yeah and we'll put that in the show notes so people can just go back and look at that. And so I want to just ask, after all of that, you're still here. I'm still here. Like, I thought you'd book the next flight out and say, I'll go struggle in Bermuda or something else. I Mm -hmm. mean, as a family, as a person, how did you still decide to stay despite that trauma? That was never a question. 
you know, Kenya has had and has been so good to us. And even if I would have packed up and left, how, you know, that doesn't mean that the opportunities that are here would have suddenly opened up to me in my own country. Mm. When we left Bermuda, it was a time when Bermuda was experiencing a recession. Mm. So a young family in Bermuda, it was, it was and still is very difficult financially. I mean, when you buy one bag of groceries, that's about $100. Yeah. For one bag of groceries? One bag. That doesn't make any kind of sense. So, yes, the trauma of experiencing the Westgate Mall attack, I mean, lots of therapy later. Yeah. And um, lots of, you know, healing process later, definitely. But the trauma of experiencing that, that was one day. And I'm not discounting that. That was a huge event in my life. But what about the continued trauma of trying to reach past the proverbial glass ceiling that was always meant to keep me down? Right. What about the trauma of trying to provide for my family and always feeling stressed about that? Mm-hmm. You know, what about the trauma of the fact of being a black person? I'm in a country. Yes, it's my country, but it was never really made for me to succeed. It was me- meant for me to be serving yeah. the colonialists and right. the systems are still in place like that. That's still a trauma, although we're used to that kind of trauma. It's not as dramatic as the Westgate Mall attack or any other terrorist attack, but it still is a trauma. But people have accepted that it's okay to live with that. Yeah, because it, the system is set up for the, the colonial investors to set yes. up hotels, to set up all these other tourists generating revenue, yeah. and, and, and the locals just work in it, right? So some someone in on the African continent will just, we assume that everything outside of Africa is better. Right. So you coming from Bermuda, how could you not be having a good life? You know, and, and we we fail to appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So you've come here. Well, Joan, I'm looking at our flight and we're just approaching the continent. We are just over the open waters and we're hitting that horizon. And so I'm gonna ask you to, you know, make the final approach and land this plane on Mother Africa. And the way I end every podcast episode is by asking you to share with our fellow travelers three life hacks for coming black to Africa. What would be your three life hacks? If you're going to come black to Africa, number one, don't come on your own. Have a community here waiting for you when you come. Mm -hmm. Number two, listen to people. How (laughs) things work in your country is not how things are going to work here. So listen with your ears and have an open heart to learn new ways of thinking, new ways of doing, and new ways of being. And number three, relax. <laughs> You're not going to get it all right the first time. It's going and that's okay. Be open to making mistakes. Be open to meeting people who you might not normally meet. Mm-hmm. Be open to trying new foods and new materials of clothing. Be open. <laughs> it's going to be okay. <laughs> I love that. Be open because different is not bad or good, it's just different. It's just different. And sometimes we fail to appreciate that people live differently. Mm-hmm. Those are wonderful life hacks. Thank you, travelers, for joining us on the pod on this podcast episode with Joanne. She's been my co-host, and I think she's managed this plane to some of very turbulent uh, weather <laughs> and sharing a very deep, you know, experience that she had. But she's still here in Africa. Ten years since she's she landed, and she's not going back. Um, she should be made an honorary ambassador <laughs> <laughs> or something to Kenya. And so, Joanne, I'm gonna end with a final question for you actually not a question a statement and i want you to complete this statement for our travelers africa is africa is 
home. Africa is home. And she is home. So why don't you come black to Africa? <laughs> I've been your host, Robert Agufana Bell, your pilot for this show. And this is the end of our flight. Thank you so much for joining us. I will put in the show notes uh, Joanne's contacts. You can reach out to her. She's a wonderful dancer and upcoming publications she'll have. We wish you all the best Thank you. in those publications. We're really looking forward to them. And I, I think you should come back on the show in the future when yeah. uh, those publications <laughs> are ready to share with us. Remember, guys, please subscribe, like, and share. That's how this podcast gets shared. Please share with your friends. I know you know someone who wants to come back to Africa and they will appreciate hearing this interview. Leave me your comments. Let me know how it's going. We're just getting the ball rolling. Look forward to better and bigger interviews. Thank you. Thank you.